the next stop, Sprawlcast. You're listening to Sprawlcast. My name is Jeremy Clausus, and I'm the editor-in-chief of The Sprawl. Sprawlcast is a show made in collaboration with CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary. And we are broadcasting slash podcasting from Treaty 7 territory. This is the home of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Picani, Siksika, and Kana nations, along with the Sutina Nation and Stony Nakoda Nations. This place is also home to Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. So if somebody walks into Loft 112, it's important for me to say hello and to welcome them and to ask a few questions and introduce myself. And, um, and so everyone is seen when they walk into the door. This summer I did something that was completely ordinary, but struck me as significant at the same time. This is all it was. I propped open the front door at Loft 112 in East Village, where the sprawl has its office. For almost a year, I had been coming here a few days a week and locking the door behind me. Meanwhile, if I worked at home, which I did most of the time, I was alone. My wife and kids would be at work and school. And I experienced something that will probably sound familiar to a lot of people after the past year and a half. I felt cut off from the world, and it wasn't good. There was more going on in my life than just the pandemic, but I started to despise life, struggling to shake what felt like an unshakable darkness. Alienation and despair marked my days. But that summer day with the sun shining, I ventured an open door. Propping open the door after a year of such relentless inwardness felt like a strike against despair. It felt hopeful. I felt the possibility of reconnection with others and with myself. I remember thinking, who am I opening the door for? Who might wander in unexpectedly? How might they change me? Am I ready to see people? Am I ready to have real encounters? It seemed to me that there were a host of questions in this one simple act of propping open the door. And it occurred to me too that it would be easy to rush past these questions and settle as quickly as possible into the routine of quote-unquote normal life whenever it returned. And sure enough, when I opened the door, the odd person would wander in, curious about the open door and the space. Loft 112 is a creative hive for artists and writers. It's a narrow unit on the ground floor of an apartment building, and often there are art exhibitions on the walls. One woman came in and told me a long story about an argument that she just had on the C-train. Another person had held an art show at Loft 112 a few years ago and wanted to tell me about it. One person was ready to put their life story down on paper and was looking for a ghostwriter. With each of these conversations, even though they were small, I felt a sense of reconnection. I felt like I was plugging into a web of neighborly relationships. And that initial question has stayed with me. What does it mean to prop open the door and let life in? It's an important question, it seems to me, at a time when it's often easier to form community outside of the places we live, while neglecting relationships with the people who are right beside us, geographically, our neighbors. Lisa Murphy Lamb has thought deeply about these questions. Not just thought about them, but lived them. 
and it's because of her that I was even in a place to consider this in the way that I have. Lisa is the director of Loft 112. I guess you could say she's also my landlord. And I've seen Lisa extend hospitality in really interesting ways. Sometimes she does it by opening the door in a way that inspires others, like me, to do the same. But she cultivates neighborliness in other ways, too. In addition to being the director of Loft 112, Lisa is an author, a teacher, a mentor, and earlier this year she won the Sandstone City Builder Award for her contributions to the city through Loft 112. I sat down with Lisa for a conversation in my little office at Loft 112. Thanks for joining me, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to chat about uh, a place where I am many days of the week, uh, but actually in some ways don't know much about. I know, because we never get to see each other. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah been the, you go home when I come in. Yeah, yeah. it's like the, the trade-off. Mm-hmm. Maybe to start, I'll, I'll put to you a question that I get asked, because one of the interesting things of working out of here is that people will walk by and I kind of see them peering in the window and then a few will wander up the stairs and knock on the door and kind of wander in. Mm -hmm. And everybody has, who comes in that way has the same question, which is, what is this place? Yes. <laughs> yes. So how would you answer that question? Well, I used to know how to answer this question um, pre-pandemic. Uh, I don't quite know how to answer it these days because I don't know what it is anymore. But my answer pre-pandemic was it's a literary creative space and it's a community space. So it's a space for people, whoever, to come in and um, be part of art or literary events, whether as an observer or part of the audience or as a creator or a writer um, to come and celebrate or create um, or to be part of someone else's celebration or creation. Yeah. And how did it get started? Uh, we were chatting before this interview about, you know, you had lived in Houston, you're a writer. How, how did the idea form and how did this place come to be? So I was a teacher with the Calgary School Board um, at the start of my career. And I taught for, I think, just five years. And then um, I moved. I was married at the time and I moved because my husband's work took us away. And we lived in England and Houston and I gave up my career and I had children and raised children. Um, and I stayed home full time, but always was curious as to what I would do when I had the opportunity to go back to work. And I wasn't sure if it was going to be fully in the classroom. And when I was in Houston, I worked for an organization called Writers in the Schools. And that's where I, um, I loved the idea of um, maybe not going back to, as a full-time teacher, but maybe looking at being an educator in a different way. And when I returned to Calgary, I started working for the Writers Guild um, and supporting writers um, in the community. I ran their summer program, Wordsworth. And, um, and at that time really lacked space for anything outside of the two to three weeks I was working for the Writers Guild. So if I wanted to interview anybody, I didn't have a space. If the students wanted to um, meet up afterwards, I didn't have a space. And I started to hear that a lot of other writers also lacked space if they wanted to have an affordable fundraiser or if they wanted to do a reading. 
outside the bookstores and coffee shops because those are in the library all really great spaces to use but there was always um uh like if you were at a, a coffee shop you still had to buy coffee the whole time you were there and if you were at a library and you were working with teens and you were saying i want you to take chances you would have to take chances while there were people sitting at the table with you um and so i started to investigate the idea of a writer's house and um, started do, looking into the different models and uh, thought that's what I wanted to do when I got back in, to working again. And so looked at different models from the UK and the US and started investigating how I might make that <clears throat> sorry happen in Calgary and uh, came up with Loft 112 but decided to open it up more than just a writer space because I thought if it just was looking after writer's needs, it might not last very long hmm. in terms of keeping it viable. So yeah. opened it up to a literary creative space. Yeah. And when you opened it up, what, it was 2013, was it? Mm -hmm. We're coming up to eight years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What was the neighborhood like? The neighborhood has always been fantastic. Um, we looked around wasn't easy to find a space, first of all, because we weren't a commercial space. And I really wanted to have the, um, the ability to have an apartment in it as well. And so that's not, wasn't an easy space. It wasn't easy to find in 2013. Um, but we stumbled across this. It was a live work space. And the East Village was extraordinarily welcoming as a neighborhood. Um, I lived in a I lived in a neighborhood which was a neighborhood of no. Anytime anything new happened, the neighborhood was all up. They just said no to everything. But when I moved here, it was a neighborhood of yes, and so um, I felt really welcomed and really supported, and um, and I really got to know the people who were living here at the time. Not only just in the orange lofts, but um, it's a really pedestrian neighborhood, as you've probably noticed. And um, people were really curious and welcoming and they would stick their head in and they would come in and say hello and want to know what was going on. And um, they came in and used the space. And so it is a literary creative space, but it's also a community space. And hmm. we really have honored trying to be part of the East Village community. And um, we've made many great connections and done like, great projects with, this, with the neighborhood here. And did you plan that? Like when you opened it, were you thinking... Were you thinking in those terms that this would be a space for the community or did that kind of just emerge organically as people were wandering in? Probably a little bit of both. Um, I didn't have a fully fledged idea when I opened it. Um, I was just really excited to have a space to have it open. Um, but my first year I said it was going to be a year of yes. And so whatever happened or was whichever opportunity was presented, I was going to say yes and embrace it. And so um, I didn't know that the East Village was going to be quite so warm and welcoming. Um, but as soon as I realized it was, then I said yes. And, uh, and so I'm really glad. So I didn't come in with the preconceived notion that I was going to connect. But I also know it's really important that if you move a business into a neighborhood, that it's really important to get to know your neighbors. Mm, and yeah. so that was part of my plan was to get to know my neighbors because I know that's important. Um, but then everything else that sprung from it was just because of um, the willingness of my neighbors to extend a hand and then 
I said, yes. <laughs> and the people who came in and the neighbors you're talking about, like where most of them, you know, were right beside uh, some seniors yes. towers. Is yeah. it, was that most of the people? Yeah. So it was mostly seniors. And then the city of Calgary um, has, uh, and probably not give, they had um, a support person here. I'm going to say like a social worker that, that probably wasn't her actual title, but like a community development person who comes in, is situated in the neighborhood. Um, and she was outstanding. And so her role was to make sure that the seniors were connected and active and had a voice in the neighborhood. And so at the time, um, her and I connected. And so we would work on um, making connections and, and utilizing my space and me getting to know the neighbor. Um, and then the Golden Age Club was in operation at the time. And then they moved over to um, the Salvation Army space. And so I would get invited to do talks and to be part of their programming. And so there was a lot of effort for connection in this neighborhood. And um, Shelley Tupper is part of the um, East Village Neighborhood Association. You know, the invites were to be part of the conversation with the Neighborhood Association. So it's a really active neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But yes, primarily at that time, it was all the seniors mm -hmm. who lived in the, um, the, the buildings that have been here for years and decades. Mm -hmm. It was right at the cusp, right at the beginning of, I don't even know if there were any of the, the new buildings had been built yet. I think it was just at the planning stage. Hmm. So once you moved in and, and you're making these connections, yeah, do you have a sense of, you know, were people kind of isolated in terms of living in this community or were there, was there kind of this warm network of connections already or? Yeah. Um, one project that I got involved in really early was with ACAD and SAIT and we did a documentary on the stories because it was, it was right on the cusp of the, of the East Village changing. And so um, we wanted to sort of get to capture some of the stories um, of the residents who had been living here a long time. And so we met with those who were still living now. And then we also got to meet um, some who'd grown up in the East Village when they were children. And we just sat and talked with them and got their stories. And, and uh, Mark Scholes um, was the, the filmmaker. Was he the filmmaker? Yes, he was the documentarian. And um, so I really got to know a handful of um, seniors and then through them others. And so there are some extraordinarily active seniors who live in this neighborhood. Like they are engaged and they are interested and they um, attend everything that is offered um, in this neighborhood. It is astounding. Um, they are really engaged. And then... Um, and then there's others who aren't. They're quite isolated. And, um, you know, and I think there, there's the problems that come around with isolation. There's some, some mental health issues for sure in this neighborhood. Um, there's some characters in this neighborhood, but you get to know them um, and you miss them when you don't see them and you worry about them when you don't see them. But um, this is one neighborhood that I uh, really got to be part of the conversation um, when they were talking about, like, for instance, when the Golden Age Club was changing and they knew there was going to be a new development, um, there was a lot of work about what do you want? Um, it's not here anymore, which was devastating to a lot of seniors because it was their meeting place. Um, and then it was closed. And so there was a lot of um, community engagement about 
what what you want um and so to see the people in the neighborhood get engaged and talk about what they want there's a lot of that in here mm-hmm. so um and i haven't quite been so engaged in any of the other neighborhoods i mean i growing up with the kids you were because you were out in the street with your kids and you got to know the other parents and um but yeah it's it's been really lovely i actually really miss it mm, yeah since um the pandemic and then you know only coming here in the evenings i really do miss the life and the personality of this neighborhood mm-hmm. yeah just the the people going by mm-hmm. and the like you say the characters there's mm-hmm. certainly a a cast of characters mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah and i just read a, a novel and uh, one of them showed up in a novel and i recognized him immediately okay yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. written here by a local calgarian writer okay yeah, yeah. and it's one of the locals it's one of our locals yeah. yep totally <laughs> yeah. oh that's awesome yeah one of the things that i find interesting about this place is just the network of people and relationships you know Mm -hmm. whether it's the seniors who live a block over or whether it's other writers in town like often when I tell people that the sprawl is based out of here you know their faces light up oh loft 112 that's awesome like they're excited to hear that the sprawl actually got connected here through Jimena one of our writers like again it was through relationship right yeah it seems like that is kind of undergirding a lot of what happens here is it's just like a conversation here or like somebody knows somebody and or a new connection is made like it seems to yeah be that that kind of thing and i think that is what has made loft 112 most successful um and i think that is because of two um things one is because of the size of loft 112 it forces you you can't get lost at loft 112 i've seen a few people wander in and then leave without really making a connection people that has happened um not very often uh because of the size of the space you you know it's like walking into a living room or walking into a good party um where you will connect with somebody quite quickly because you're coming there for a common reason. You're coming there to listen to poetry or to see art or to listen to music or to be part of a workshop. And we've got really good people in the literary community. And so it's not a large space. Like sometimes I go to a movie by myself and I can do that because I can sit in the back row or, and I, I can come and go without talking to anybody because it's a big space and it's dark and you can do that. But here at the loft, um, you know, you get cozy. And um, people are friendly and they talk. And the other part about it is, you know, and I give credit to my mom, is she was a really good host. And I watched her be a really good host um, growing up. And so it is something that I value. So if somebody walks into Loft 112, it's important for me to say hello and to welcome them and to ask a few questions and introduce myself. And... um, and so everyone is seen when they walk into the door. Like I said, sometimes I've watched somebody come and go and I haven't had a chance to connect with them. But it's it's built on relationships. And, and that's one of the biggest um, compliments that I get is how people feel like it's such a warm space the minute they walk in. And I think that's how community is. And I know that's how community is built. I mean, I've seen it happen over eight years. And... Um, Oftentimes, Loft 112 is a is a starting point for people. They meet, they connect, they start something new here, and then they move on to bigger and better things. And I think that's incredible. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, you use the phrase, people feel seen here. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a, I think that's a pretty rare thing yeah. in a city the size of Calgary. Yeah. To go into somewhere and, you know, you're seen. Yeah. Somebody's engaging with you right away, right? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Seen and hurt. Because, yeah. of course, we give voice to a lot of storytellers and poets and and writers. But, um, but yeah, I think that's really important. I think community is is really important in all kinds of, so if it's the literary community or the creative arts community, um, but I think community is really important. And I think that also comes back to my background because I, I was trained in inclusive education and so I was always trying to make sure that, you know, people of all kinds were felt valued in the space that they were in. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and you're, you're, you're extending that hospitality to a real mix of people. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just the literary set. Mm-hmm. Like when I think of, you know, uh, some of the local folks who go by, like it's a real, real interesting mix of people. And you mentioned your mother and her hospitality as a host. Like, yeah, I'm curious when you're dealing with so many different kinds of people with different kinds of needs and just you know, everybody who walks through that door kind of has a different need of some sort or need for connection. And I think that's what it is because, like, I really kind of bristle at the the saying, like-minded individuals, like, you know, you want to be in a crowd that everyone is the same or the same goal. Because I think we all have the same goal, even if, you know, we're not all PhD students or we're not all... Um, you know, gamers or we're not all whatever page poets versus spoken word poets or, you know, acrylic artists versus sketchers. I think the need is all for most of us have is to feel welcome and to feel safe and to feel heard and to feel um, that if we're going to walk into the space, we're not going to stand alone. And if we stand alone, it's not going to be for very long that, you know, that that we're we got dressed and got out for a reason and um and I think that is why I think that's what is draws us together it's not what we do it's not what we put out into the world I think it's our humanity that connects us so um you know we can have a senior from the neighborhood and we can have an 18 year old who's you know art is up on the wall for the very first time and we can have um our award winner um artists who come through here and they can all be in the same room and they're not like-minded in terms of pursuit, but they are all like-minded, I think, in terms of being appreciated mm-hmm. and being seen. And that's, and so I like to throw, I like to throw varied people into the mix because it inevitably works out and brings together um, a beautiful evening or an afternoon. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt, it does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, th- there's a a religious scholar in Edmonton named David Goa, and I went to his house, uh, I guess, a month ago. Uh, and he writes a lot about community and whatnot. But one of the things he says is that community only exists where there's difference. Yeah. And, and I think somehow, I think we've got that wrong, a lot of us, where yeah. we think community is where we're all interested in the same thing and we all have the same worldview. And yeah. This is what it is. Yeah, we're all the same age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We all look the same and, yeah. you know, have all these similarities. Yeah. Yeah. He says that's not community, actually. Community is where there's difference. Which Yeah, and there's like just born mentoring in it or, you know, 
somebody's just beginning, somebody has been doing something for 50 years. Um, yeah, somebody has a different point of view and you can have a conversation in the evening that even if it gets heated, it you don't get shut down. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's always been my view of community and that's what I've tried to bring here and um, it's certainly what happens and, uh, and I think it's successful. Mm-hmm. You mentioned living in a community of no, yeah, like a physical community, yes, like a neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. um, and and I'm curious, does part of what you're doing here, or part of what makes this so rich and rewarding for you, is it those experiences where it's like you've been in a neighborhood and there isn't connection? Yeah, I think it is, um, and I th- yeah, I think it's partially through life experience. Um, you know, my kids went through schools where, you know, at grade three, 75% of their kids went to the gifted program and 25% stayed in regular program. And that was a really hard year for a lot of kids. Um, Cause again, you want to separate instead of put together. I think it's my background of um, inclusive education where the whole idea is, you know, can we learn together with differences or do we need to parcel everybody out into a separate classroom in order to learn better? Um, so it's, you know, studying those theories. Um, yeah, it's like maybe sitting after dinner party, after dinner party, just talking about renovations and nothing else. Um, (laughs) it's about... It's kind of empty, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's about something new coming into the neighborhood and then getting the group email and where everybody wants to petition no, um, as opposed to yes. And I'm not opposed to no's. Like sometimes you do have to say no. I mean, we're not allowed to have tap dancing in here. My neighbors have said no to that. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll take no. Yeah. yeah, there's reason. There's reason yeah. for, for saying no, for sure. I'm not opposed to no. But um, yeah, the idea that there's one thought that's the right thought. And, um, and, and yeah, so I think so. I think it's a combination of, of being in, in communities where you get tired of, of a group thought um, and then my own background and, and liking to take risks, I think, mm. um, yeah. and create a space that, and honestly, and, and honestly, to try to keep a community space opened, we're not big enough a city to just cater to one way of thinking. Like it needs to be diverse. So on a purely business way of two, you know. Mm-hmm. But that's not why I do it this way. Yeah, <laughs> Anyways, yeah, yeah. But but to be practical, it would be you know if I if this was just a poetry center or it was just a fine art center. Yeah. Um, it just there's it's not big enough a city just to have such a narrow focus. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that like that idea of taking uh, taking a risk, I sense that too from the people who who come in here. Like sometimes someone will have an idea for a project that they want to do, or they have a life story they want to tell or so so even while I've been in here working by myself and someone comes in and they're like they want to find out more oh this is a thing for writers like oh I have this project I've been thinking about and it takes some vulnerability Mm -hmm. uh, to kind of put that in out into the world even in a conversation yeah so it's kind of cool to see I, I I know for you you're you know you're not here during the day but one of the nice things about me being here during the day is I get to see kind of like the fruits of your work yeah coming through the door and in these conversations and you yeah know, the people that come in and 
want to connect and have heard about it from somebody and yeah so yeah I actually I really do miss that that is that's one of the benefits too I think of having like the storefront with the door that opens right up onto the street um is that you do just you get to and so much has happened just from those encounters where somebody walks in and then they say and I can just use the space um and I can just do this idea that I have and nobody has to okay it um yeah, and, and, and all I ask is that they respect the space, respect, you know, the neighbors and respect the items in it and they can have the space, which I think is also a way to build community too. And it's nice when you have such a small space that you don't have to have a lot of red tape around it. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. also builds strong community because it's built on trust right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and people yeah. can try new things. People and... can try new things. There's not a lot of overhead. There's not a lot of risk in terms of their financials. Um yeah, there's very few rules to follow. I mean, sometimes there's a lot of rules. It's mostly just on cleanup mm. because you have to be respectful for the next group. But yeah. 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 And and when you think back, like what are some of the interesting uses or, you know, projects or oh, creative there, stuff that have come through? There has been so many. I, I, like, I'm so grateful, actually. And I've, I've really missed the interactions and the creativity that have that has happened but what if some some of them like we have had um we had a group called um tb weekends um that would come in and they in turn would invite creators to put on like a week uh i think it was monthly or every two months would come in and put on like a, a performance and so they would have half a dozen um performers come in and do everything from short skits to tap dancing to singing or whatever. So they would create this this mini variety show within the space and they were regulars and I loved that. When we first opened, we had um, a movie script writing group that would come in and, and cold read their scripts. And we've had, uh, um, we used to throw great parties here where we had like a reel-to-reel film from MoMA and um, New York City that was brought in and we we filmed it up in the apartment upstairs and we've had oh I have to think a moment um we've had youth we've had like teens rented out and do music nights for their friends and um which is great that we've been able to do that we've had two weddings in here um and we've worked with the drop-in center and had artists come in and have their first shows here. Um, we've worked with um, a group of adults. This was one thing that we, we did for years called Long Table Creative. We worked with adults with developmental disabilities and we did literary programs. So we did novel work with them and they wrote their own plays and um, did a year of poetry with them. And they were a, a group that came in, I think we did five years um, which was fantastic. And, oh, there's been book launches and poetry readings and music nights and art, art, art. And then I love what we have right now, the box stories, Mm -hmm. um, gallery with the old card catalog. And I love because it's small numbers right now, being able to observe people sit in front of it and go and open up each drawer and really interact with each, Mm -hmm. um, drawer of, art and poet or art and literature and books and sculpture mm-hmm. so you kind of take their time with it take their time with it yeah yeah so that's been really good yeah 
for sure. Yeah. And when you reflect on almost eight years, uh, you said, of doing this, mm-hmm. yeah, what lessons have you taken away in terms of building community? We've touched on some of them, but I imagine, you know, you've gleaned wisdom that you have now that you didn't have uh, when you first opened the door here. Um, the big one is that it's good to have a little bit of ego, um, but not too much of an ego. By the mean, by that I mean, when I first started, I didn't talk about that I owned the space. Like I thought I'll just be in the background um, and I won't talk about myself as an artist. I'll just be the one sweeping the floors and scrubbing the toilets and making the space available. And so it was very easy for me to be the one cleaning the floors and scrubbing the toilets while everyone else got to be artists and writers. And um, and so that wasn't good because it's very easy to be angry <laughs> when you're cleaning the toilets and scrubbing the <laughs> floors. So you have to have a little bit of ego so that people can see you as being a valuable member of the community. Um, but not too big of an ego because it's not my space. It belongs to the, the community. And the magic that happens doesn't happen between another person, myself and another person. I don't have to be part of the the um, interaction that happens. So many connections have been made in the space. Um, and it happens because they happen to be in the space and it has nothing to do with me. So anything great that has happened here in terms of community building or new connections being made or new friendships being made or sub-communities made because of here, um, has nothing to do with me or has has something to do with me, but I'm not the main piece of the puzzle. So mm. too much ego could get into the way of that too, if you're trying to take credit for it all. So finding the right balance of ego for being part of a community, I think is key. Um, so that you're, you just know where your place is in the community. And I think it's really key. And I think it's hard to find the right mm. for building community because everybody Everybody needs to be treated the same way. And I think that has been a really successful way of looking at it, that whether you're 18 years old and coming in for the first time or you're 65 and, you know, have 15 award winning, everybody gets treated equally in order for space to run smoothly. Um, You don't have VIP seats for those Everyone just comes in and gets treated equally. And I think that's really important for building communities so mm-hmm. that everyone feels well. So that's one thing um, for building community. I think everybody pitches in for building community again so that everyone feels equally part of it. Um, just making the place warm and welcoming, having drink and food when you can um, so that people feel fed and happy at the end of the night is good for community. Um, Listening and being really interested in what people are doing because there are some amazing stories and amazing work out there. And if you're willing to listen and to hear what other people are doing, then it just... New ideas come out of it and richer community is built because you remember things and then... When an opportunity comes up, you invite new people. Um, I just think, yeah, just be open and listening and inviting and connecting and um, have the door opened and Mm -hmm. offer a cup of tea or a glass of wine. 
and uh, sit back and let other people talk. And I think community works the best that way because, yeah. yeah. And if someone's standing alone, you know, go over and say hello. Yeah. And this, <laughs> and like you said, this space makes it like by nature of the size of yeah. the space, yeah. uh, you're kind of forced into that, mm-hmm. into the conversations, which yeah. is neat. Yeah. Yeah. And remember people's names. Mm. So, which is hard and not always good at it. But remember people's names so that if you have to make introductions. And if you don't remember people's names, say it. Say, remind me. And I know we've met 16 times and I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. 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 You mentioned opening the door. And that's one thing. Every time that I pop open the door here and, you know, <laughs> put the rock beside it and the door is open. It's always just a good feeling. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Like it's. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the other, yeah, having the door open, like literally opening the door um, is, yeah, I mean it, like literally opening the door and then also just opening the door in terms of opportunity and, and conversation. And then I, I think also building community. This is one that people doubted me about, but I stuck to it and it hasn't bitten me in the, I don't know if I can, but um, is the idea of just saying you're welcome here. You're part of the community and I trust you. So here's the space. You can have it for this long. Here's the key um, to it. And uh, people rise to the occasion. Mm. You know, and I think that's another way of, of building community is just saying we're in this together. Um, if your actions shut us down, then your actions shut us down. Mm. And I trust they won't. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so extending that trust. So extending so, that trust. Yeah. And, and in eight years and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people coming through here. Um, we've done okay with that. And and people have often said you're too trusting. Mm. And I'm like, well, you have to make a decision how you're going to, you know, run your business, whether you're going to trust or not. Yeah. And I think if you're building community, you have to trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Until the day you can't anymore. But I will until the day I can't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned the, I mean, this, the past year and a half has obviously been uh, tough. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm curious if that has created for you any kind of, I don't know, a different way of looking at it or anything new has come out of it for you. Well, yes. Um, I've never shared my space before with another group. Oh, yeah. So welcome, this yeah, fall. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a new way of, of, of doing it. Um, I just think, again, being opened. And so when we were closed, we had yourselves and Yokeless Press come and approach us and say, can we share the space? And so being open and saying, yes, okay, let's give it a try. Um, we don't know how long this is going to last, but we got space. So if you're okay to work around, you know, let's make it work. So, um, and then looking and I mean, when we were really active and really on top of our game, it was a seven day a week working and working on amazing projects and working with hundreds of people. And, um, it was thrilling and exhausting. Mm. Uh, so of course you take a look back and you think, do I want to work can I keep going at that rate? Is that good? Is that what I want? Um, and so looking at it and saying, okay, so what if we share the space? You have it half the time. We have it half the time. Um, we get some money from rent. So then we don't have to work as hard. 
Um, and then also, like, what if we can't get back up to the level that we had before? We don't know what post-pandemic literary creative world looks like. And also, eight years ago, there weren't affordable creative spaces. And now there's affordable creative spaces on every half block. <laughs> so, you know, you have to keep constantly evolving and looking. And so I want to keep doing amazing creative work. And I want to have a space that people can access for little money. Um, and so I just have to keep looking at opportunities that present themselves to keep this place open and still keep true to our mandate. So, yeah. So we yeah. got you now, which is great. Yeah, well, it's, it's great to be here. <laughs> and, it's... you know, we're right now focusing a little, little bit more heavily on the art side of the literary creative side. Um, but that's okay. And then we're hoping that as people get more comfortable, um, they will come back with bringing their own ideas and renting the space out. And then if we can take the risk of doing programming, that people will come and support the programming. And it's all in time. So whereas when I opened the space, I was really ready to jump in. Now I'm learning a little bit more patience, but that comes with eight years more of age too, I yeah. guess. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's been a highlight for me of the last couple of years of doing the sprawl, like being here. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess it's been one year, just yeah. over a year now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been really cool to just be part of the creative energy that's here yeah. and that hospitality uh, yeah. that's a part of this place. Yeah. Um, and which, hopefully we'll have a bit more crossover. Yeah, definitely. As time goes on. Yeah, yeah. And more opportunities to try new things. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. Maybe even collaborate on something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That'd be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's all kinds of opportunities yeah. for that sort of stuff. Now that so. we can actually both be in the same room at the same time, whereas for that time before, yeah, it was you guys in the day, yeah. then us from four to seven, and then Yoclis Press from seven until ten. Yeah, yeah. Like we were very separated. Shift work. <laughs> Shift <Yeah>. work. <laughs> yeah. Totally. But yeah, it's it's nice. Hopefully we're moving in a good direction yes. and there will be yes. more of this and more of that kind of collaboration. Yeah. Well, thanks very much, Lisa, uh, for your time and insights. Thank you. Thanks for having me. End of line. Thanks for listening and see you again soon. Listening to Sprawlcast. I'm Jeremy Clausus and I'm the editor in chief of The Sprawl. And you've been listening to a conversation with Lisa Murphy Lamb, the director of Loft 112. With this episode, The Sprawl is kicking off a new edition that explores the ways that we cultivate neighborliness in Calgary, or the ways we don't, as the case may be. We've got some good stories coming up, so stay tuned for those. You can find out more about Loft 112 at loft112.org. One of the cool things they have there right now is the Boxed Stories Gallery. It's an old library card catalog that's been converted into a mini art gallery. There are 30 drawers and each has different art and stories inside. There's a tiny sprawl exhibit in there too, curated from political campaign ephemera that Sam Hester, our comics artist, has collected over the years. That's going to be running until December 12th. 
And if you're ever in the area during the day, feel free to peek through the window and stop in and say hi if I'm there. It's getting a little cold for propping open the door, but it's still good to see people. I often find it's those little connections that make my day. This episode was edited by Mike Todd. Our theme music is by Dandy Augustino and Kenny Murdoch. Our C-Train narrator is Holly McConnell. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Thank you.